Hi, it's Paula, and I just want to give you a heads up. Today's episode features a conversation about television writing. And we at Proximity Media want to acknowledge that the Writers Guild of America, the labor union representing writers of motion pictures, television, radio, and internet programming, is currently on strike. Our company works closely with writers, and we have writers in the company as well. So we stand in solidarity with the WGA and support all writers and workers in getting fair treatment and pay. Thanks for listening to In Proximity. Here's the show. You're listening to P-R-O-X. I really wanted to do like certain writing classes in the film school, but because I wasn't actually part of the film school, I couldn't take them. So, I mean, I'll give you this one example. There was a, a writing room class. I loved it and was like chipping in and being part of the class. But then I think on the fourth time I went to the class, an administrator came along and was like, you can't be here. You're not. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? in my imagination, they sort of take me off in handcuffs and, you know, <laughs> put me away somewhere. But Dude. yeah, they just said, you've got to stop coming to this class, please. You're listening to In Proximity. Jamie Carragher is a screenwriter who most recently worked as story editor on the fourth and final season of the HBO drama Succession. He got his start as a writer's assistant on Succession season two and on the HBO comedy run, working closely with showrunners Jesse Armstrong and Vicky Jones. Jamie is based in London, but before writing for television, he spent time in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California where he and I were classmates in the Graduate Arts Journalism program at the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. I'm Paula Mardo, head of audio at Proximity Media and the voice you hear at the top of every episode of In Proximity. I'm also a podcast host and producer, and I created, hosted, and produced Long Distance, a narrative podcast and short documentary series about stories in the Filipino diaspora. It was part of the inaugural Google Podcast Creator Program and was dubbed one of Vanity Fair's 10 essential podcasts from Asian American and Pacific Islander creators, IndieWire's 50 Best Podcast Episodes of 2020, and the New York Times Podcast Club's 2019 picks. Today is a first because I get to sit down with my old friend and classmate to talk about how he got his start as a TV writer on Succession and how journalism school didn't quite turn out how we expected and yet played a pivotal role in both of our creative careers. Hi, I'm Jamie Carragher. I'm a screenwriter. I'm story editor on the current and last season of Succession, and I live in London. Hey, this is Paula Mardo. I am a podcast host and producer, and I'm also the head of audio at Proximity Media, meaning I lead production and development for all of our audio projects and podcasts, including this one. And I am joining this conversation from Los Angeles. And Jamie, I'm so honored to be speaking with you today. You're actually our first international guest. We've never done like a cross-country conversation, but Super stoked to be doing it with you. So welcome. Thanks. I mean, I was hoping you might fly me out to LA, but that's okay. That season two, season two, <laughs> we'll do a follow-up. We'll, we'll just jump into it for a bit of context. You and I met at 
the arts journalism program at USC or University of Southern California's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. So we were in the like arts program within the journalism school. Can you tell me why you applied to Annenberg of all things and also what you were doing at that moment in your life that led to this decision? So when I applied to the program, I was living in Liverpool with my parents, working as a teaching assistant in a high school and, you know, writing scripts and doing little writing programs where I could. But I sort of felt a little bit stuck and I came across this program at USC that was only one year long. And I felt that, you know, there was a possibility of getting funding for that program, I could hopefully go to USC and take some of their amazing script writing classes, but also not laden myself with three years worth of debt that you would have to do if you went on the straight screenwriting track. Right. Yeah, it didn't quite turn out the way (laughs) I expected it to in that sense. I really wanted to do like certain writing classes in the film school, but because I wasn't actually part of the film school, I couldn't take them. So, I mean, I'll give you this one example. There was a a writing room class that was almost like a, it was a writer's room in all sense and purposes, except it was a class. So it was sort of artificial Mm -hmm. in that two sort of senior students were developing an idea and they had other students as their writers and there was a professional writer sort of overseeing this class i went three times i loved it and was like chipping in and being part of the class but then i think on the fourth time i went to the class an administrator came along and was like you can't be here you're not what yeah yeah i mean what in my imagination they sort of take me off in handcuffs and you know (laughs) put me away somewhere but yeah they just said you've got to stop coming to this class please and it's because you were not part of the film school you were in a journalism school I didn't realize I guess because I was so I ended up getting a fellowship for film criticism that was like a joint fellowship between the cinema school and Annenberg so I got to take classes in both but I also just assumed all art students could do because I took a class in the music school you took a playwriting one yeah, I that's could, crazy. I, I could take certain classes, but this was the class that I really wanted to do because I mm. knew that it was kind of closest to what I wanted to do professionally. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, those sort of three weeks that I did get sort of confirmed like, well, yeah, this is definitely the environment that I'd like to be in. And I remember you specifically, like you were always, I knew you, you know, done theater. I knew you were interested in television writing. In fact, honestly, sometimes I was like, wait, why is he in this journalism program? What is he doing here? (laughs) Your writing was always very witty and sharp. It was really cool to see that even in this journalism program that there were other folks who were not straightforward journalists. Yeah, definitely. There would be moments when I would feel really (laughs) incompetent at certain elements of the course, you know, particularly like the summer camp where we had to do oh my God. Uh, just, just basic journalism skills and yeah. to do with, you know, getting interviews and vox pops. And, you know, technically I was like a, a caveman uh, compared to, you know, on the other side of the coin, I remember looking at you and thinking, God, you've got so much technical ability in the audio world that I felt very 
<laughs> felt very intimidated. You know, all, all I was doing was dropping puns in a film class, uh, whereas you actually had... Uh, good puns, very good puns. <laughs> whereas you actually had a lot of technical ability. But yeah, it's sometimes great to be surrounded by people with very different skill sets, isn't it? Yeah, but LA was important for me career-wise in a different way in that I reconnected with my friend Ben Newman, who at the time was working at UTA as an agent's assistant. And we used to go and watch the Liverpool soccer games very early in the morning at this Liverpool bar because he was an agent's assistant and genuinely the sort of only person I really knew working on that side of the industry. I would say to him, I'd love to get in a room somehow or be an assistant to somebody or just to sort of get my first step on the ladder. And yeah, I think eventually, you know, I booked him so much, he he laid it out to me and was like, look, you've got no visa and no experience, so it's not going to happen. So mm. at the end of the Masters at USC, I, I went back to England and yeah, I felt like I'd sort of gone back to square one. I was working again at a high school as a teaching assistant and it felt <laughs> just felt a lot worse to be oh, back yeah. where I had been. And yeah. then Ben sent me a message on Facebook saying, do you know Jesse Armstrong? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar. He's had a lot of hit shows in the UK for a long time, like Peep Show and The Thick of It and Fresh Meat, shows that I've I loved and still do. And anyway, Ben was like, yeah, he Jesse's got this new show. It's not out yet. It's called Succession. They need a writer's assistant for season two. Would you like me to put you up for the job? <laughs> and I think if I could have put my head through the computer screen and nodded in front of his head, I would have done that. But uh, yeah, he got me uh, the trial for the job. And yeah, I got the job. So... I went from being a teaching assistant in high school to two weeks later being in the succession writer's room. about you because you were doing long distance yeah 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 I guess bring it back to our time at um Annenberg I did that film criticism fellowship and I really was like I'm gonna be a film critic mm -hmm. my advisor for the program was Kenneth Turan this legendary film critic for the LA Times and we had meetings together and one time I had lunch with him at the LA Times building and he was like anyone can do this job anyone can be a film critic but you know, well, I think you are, I think you're a producer. And the reason he said that, I don't know if you remember, we, you know, we got to watch films and, and write about them for the program. One of the films was I Am Not Your Negro, directed by Raul Peck, based on an unfinished manuscript by James Baldwin. And I remember there was a screening at USC that a bunch of us were trying to get into, but it was like packed. And mm -hmm. I don't know how or why, but I somehow finagled <laughs> my way into getting tickets for all of us and for some reason Kenny knew that uh -huh. and he was like you're a producer you know you're, you're, you make <laughs> things happen and I was like wait what 
And at the time I couldn't see what he was seeing, but I look back on that now and I'm like, oh yeah. I remember when I left the program, when we graduated, you know, I'd gained all these skills. I, you know, was able to, my thesis was a podcast, a narrative documentary podcast about tiki bars and cultural appropriation. I was like, yes, I'm going to work in this industry, et cetera. But this was like 2017 and there were no podcast jobs, really. Not a lot. Not as many as there are now. In fact, the term podcast producer, it was still weird to say. Radio producer was a thing. I remember I would put like audio producer on my resume and it still felt odd because there just weren't many people doing that yet. And I remember having sort of like a crisis because all I could get, like I interned at a local public radio station, KPCC. I was making $12 an hour after grad school. And I had, you know, loans from that as well because I had to take some on because the fellowship wasn't enough. It didn't work out exactly as I planned this grad school thing, but I, I got enough out of it to help keep me going. And I was determined to work in this field and do my own thing. But at the same time, the system was hard to navigate. There were some tough moments, too, where I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Did I pick the mm -hmm. right path? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely couldn't have predicted the way that it worked out. And as I say, the year after L.A., I kind of felt like quite angry at myself in a way. I, I felt that I was really sort of going around in circles and not making the kind of progress that I wanted to. I mean, I wish you called me. I wish <laughs> I wish we called each other. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very easy to isolate yourself as well yeah. when you're going through those periods where things aren't quite working out when actually that's probably the time when you should be doing more reaching out. Yeah, totally. 100%. So after the graduate program, and I didn't plan for this, but a lot of the stories I was interested in at the time were like things in my community that I was sort of, I wasn't searching for them. I was just sort of interested. And even before Annenberg, actually, I was interviewing here in LA, there's a place called Historic Filipino Town. And I was interviewing people about the community. That's what led me to that tiki story in the first place because LA's tiki bars have like deep roots in the Filipino community. The first tiki bartenders were Filipino. I mean, people should check out that piece because it's really great. But, oh man. Yeah. Gosh, thank you. It's also on long distance if you want to check it out. But what ended up happening was there were a bunch of stories I wanted to tell about, you know, my community being Filipino American and having lived in the diaspora, and I could never find a home for them. Like I pitched like some arts culture stuff to NPR and got rejected. At a certain point, I was like, well, I just want to do this anyway. So like, why don't I just make a podcast? I remember, you know, being a year out of Annenberg and seeing you, you know, with the Your Tiki podcast and, and with Long Distance and thinking, wow, you're sort of making a career here in a way that I didn't feel at the time that I had that much to show at that moment, which is, yeah, it just goes to show that sometimes you can from afar think that somebody else has got it all figured out and actually... <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. It's funny, you say like from the outside, like it looked like I was doing all this stuff and I was... I was getting into these programs and got a bit of funding for the show as well, but it was also like a lot of work. 
and I had to freelance still on the side and still podcasting wasn't paying as much. So it was really hard. But I think both you and I sort of figured things out. ask about where you are now, Succession, the fourth and final season, and your role is different, right? So you started as an assistant. Do you remember what the first day was like? Yeah, I can remember the situation quite clearly because it was really hot summer in London, like LA weather, but in London, so absolutely no capability for dealing with the heat. And we were in this big office in Brixton. And everyone was just like sweating for a whole time trying to pitch their stories. But it was the summer of the World Cup and all the writers were going to the pub after the room ended. And, you know, very kindly, one of the writers, I forget who, said, Jamie, you're going to come and join us at the pub. And I said, no, I've got to I've got to finish these notes. They need to be perfected. They need to be put in order. And so everyone sort of heads out and then, yeah, I remember sort of Jesse, you know, nodding at me and sort of basically, you know, saying you made the right choice there and staying back and, you know, doing the work on the notes. That's the thing that, mm. that's the thing that I need from you. And that's why you're in this room. You know, people often ask me when, when I'm talking about the assistant position, like, did I send in scripts of my own? to get this job and honestly no one from succession read anything i wrote for the first year because first and foremost it's like are you a good writer's assistant and then you know you grow closer to these people they become your friends and mentors and then they they ask you to see your work but i had to prove on top of being the assistant that i had the ideas to to really earn my place in the room yeah, that's interesting because being in a writer's room sounds so glamorous, but it is a job and there's work. Can you just talk about what the, I guess, levels are, or like what what your roles were every season since you started and what each job sort of entailed? So I joined uh, as the writer's assistant on season two, and the role is basically to take notes of everything that is said in the room that relates to the show and to make it make sense so that at the end of the day you've got like a a really good document that will then eventually feed into the scripts you know so many of the things that are said within the room do feed directly into the scripts and that was a really tough job mm. maybe it sounds quite simple in a sense just writing things down but you know when you're in a room with 10 really great funny writers you want to make sure that you're catching everything that they say that is relevant and you know you finish one day and then the next day comes straight after i know that sounds pretty obvious but each day was its own thing you could never allow one day's work to go over into the next day because we'd be back in that morning and a whole new day of ideas was going to come straight at you so 
the writer's assistant job was really hard, but I was determined to be really good at that job mm-hmm. because I knew from day one when I was in there that that was exactly the kind of place that I wanted to be in, you know, just the flow of ideas and talking about story and talking about what different characters do in different situations. I was like, wow, this is, this is the dream. <laughs> but as you, you do find out that living the dream also has its challenges, right? So mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I worked really hard at being a great assistant. And then I felt that if I did a really good job at that, then I could just start pitching my own ideas and jokes into the show. And, you know, Jesse Armstrong, who is the showrunner, was always so generous and democratic and let me speak up when I had an idea. And yeah, that gave me the confidence to keep contributing. And then for season three, he made me a staff writer. And then on season four, um, I just got promoted to story editor. Really the difference between staff writer and story editor is a little bit, (laughs) yeah, maybe you personally feel more confident because you've got the the backing of um, the people in charge. But really when we're all sat down just talking through ideas and pitching different storylines, there isn't really that hierarchical divide that you might sometimes get the impression of. Do you remember, was it you who pitched an idea first or did someone ask you like, hey, Jamie, do you have any jokes or whatever it is? Like, do you remember that moment where you were like, oh, opportunity i gotta you know prove my worth i definitely became quite adept at waiting for a dead moment in the room when no one was saying anything like i made it like a sort of internal rule of my own Mm. just to never talk over any of the writers when they were speaking like they can talk you know they can sort of talk over each other but until i am a writer then that isn't something i should be doing But then I became, you know, over a six hour period of talking or or whatever it is, there's always going to be a few moments in the day where you can say the idea that you've been hanging on to. (laughs) I definitely can remember the first day that I made the room laugh. And that was like a big, that was a big one for me. Like (laughs) I remember like leaving the, the room that day and sort of comically fist pumping the air or something like that because I felt wow like I made these writers who I've admired for years before laugh at something I said so I felt like yeah I'm in the right place that's awesome do you remember a time when you like bombed like said something and like no one laughed (laughs) I mean that's probably the very next day probably that I probably uh yeah there are some days And again, it's talking about that sort of medium term, long term view. If you sometimes you'll go into the writer's room and you will just have a stinker of a day where every idea you say just seems to (laughs) like curdle in your mouth and you sort of lose faith in it. And every joke that you try and make just doesn't doesn't work. And you just sort of have to brush that day off and come back again the next day. Do you feel like, wow, I am a writer now? I definitely feel confident coming out of Succession that I've been part of a really great room and contributed to a show that I'm really proud of. 
but you know you've still got to uh keep going and keep pushing yourself i think bob dylan said that uh, the artist should always be in the state of becoming you haven't like arrived you know you've got to still keep trying to find new goals and ways to push yourself so i'm certainly not coasting off the back of it even if i'm really proud to have been a part of it So we've come to the part of our podcast called Prox Rex, where basically you and I share recommendations we have for listeners. Could be a book, a movie, a quote, podcast, literally anything. Ideally, something related to your career path or your work that has maybe helped you along the way. So do you want to start? Yeah, I think my first piece of advice would be to start telling people what it is that you want to do. Um, I, you know, I think you can even remember back when I was at USC, I would tell people that I wanted to be a screenwriter. And, you know, I told it to my friend Ben and he remembered me when when the opportunity came so if you start telling people what it is that you're working towards then people can think of you when something comes up and whereas I feel like if you just keep it to yourself it you're, you're making it you're making it harder for yourself yeah and actually you just I'm gonna change my thing because I had something but I okay. love what you just said and I think it'll compliment it but I'm gonna have to it's on a card. Let me let me grab it one sec. Okay. So my prox wreck is is also a quote. You've inspired me to share this one. I actually have it on this little card. It's from this designer. Her name is Melody Asani. She's really cool. She's a clothing slash jewelry designer in Los Angeles, but she's also just a really cool, interesting creative. She makes clothing for women, but it's very empowering. There's like little messages and like the tags and things that sort of uplift you. It's weird to say, but if you wear her stuff, you know what I mean. But when you purchase things from her, they send like little postcards too with these interesting kind of uplifting sayings, which I kind of love. And this one says, and I've kept it because I do love it. It says, you already are what you're looking for. And I don't know. I kind of like that because I feel like we're always searching for that moment when we can finally call ourselves a writer or a producer or whatever it is. But it's like, no, no, no. If you're doing the work, you are the thing. And so just keep doing the work. Jamie, well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really cool to to hear about your journey since we met. And yeah, I can't wait to see what else you do next. Thanks for having me. I feel like we need to get um, a cocktail at a tiki bar next. That's, that's what 100%. we should do. In Proximity is a production of Proximity Media. If you like the show, be sure to follow, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends and loved ones to do the same. You can do that right now. Send a link to someone who you think might really like this conversation. Learn more and read transcripts of this episode and others. Plus, get links to the projects we discussed at proximitymedia.com. 
Don't forget to follow at Proximity Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The show is produced by me, Paula Mardo. Executive producers are Ryan Kugler, Zinzi Kugler, Sevo Hanyan, and me. Our theme song and additional music is composed by Ludwig Gorenson. Ken Nana is our sound designer and mix engineer. Paulina Cherizova is our production assistant. Audio editing for this episode is by Cedric Wilson. Special thanks to the whole Proximity Media team and to you for listening to In Proximity. Meet you back here next week. Yeah, I mean, finishing things is really important as well, I'd say. Yes. You know, maybe prioritize like less projects, but finish them. Because mm-hmm. that was definitely something I used to do when I was younger as I'd start like 25 different things in a year. Yep. And then there was one year when I was like, no, I'm going to finish four things this year. And you did it. Did you? You did four things? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably and did. if you didn't, it's all good. It's all good. Just, Just, you know, keep going.